Belfry ate my wedge of cheese. And I said I was sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you two forgive each other and be Come friends. On. Animals, of course, have no idea what it means to forgive one another. I wonder sometimes if we humans do. Did you know that the word forgive means to set something free? that you're here worshiping with us and uh, we're starting a new message series this morning we're going to talk about dirt I think you know that's what everybody expects when you come to church right to talk about dirt Uh, actually we're beginning a new message series called summer at the movies and so over the next several weeks we're going to take a movie that has a point and then we'll tie it in I won't be preaching the movie but I'll be preaching scripture and we'll be tying the movie in with some of the tenets of our faith so hopefully like when you see the movie advertised or you watch the movie with your friends or your family you'll go huh This movie actually taught something. You know, that's pretty much what Jesus did. And here at West, the predominant core value, the core value that we ground every other core value in is that we follow the Jesus model. As a church family, a new faith community, we follow, we ground everything in Jesus. And so if he did it, we try to do it. If he didn't do it, then probably we don't. I shared that on Friday when I was up in Wisconsin talking to some of the pastors and the lay people from across the Wisconsin Annual Conference, and they wanted to know about West and how we do what we do and why we do what we do. So I shared with them our core values, number one being the Jesus model. And I said what I just said, you know, about if Jesus does it, we do. And if he didn't, then we probably don't. And after they could weed through my southern accent, because most of the time, sometimes they just, you know, turn their head to the side and listen for a little while. And then I would realize I was not using my consonants appropriately, like going and, you know, sounded very southern. But anyway, when I said we ground it all in Jesus, and if he did it, we do too. And if he didn't, we don't. And I said, like the Apostles' Creed. And there was like a little gasp in the, in the room. They're like, oh. And I said, no, we don't say the Apostles' Creed at West. We don't do a lot of liturgy because when Jesus was teaching the people and the masses, that's not what we see and what we read. I'm sure that he did it in the temple because he was Jewish, but Jesus was just out using real, ordinary examples for everything that he did. And so that's what we're doing right now in this message series. We're going to use things that you see, I see in our everyday lives. We're going to try to see what point is made from those things and we're going to use it 
using, or we're going to learn those things using what is called a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus would tell those who were around him, and it always made a point. But now he would not go on to explain, you know, okay, now this is what this meant, and this is what this meant. He would just tell the story. Most scholars believe the reason that he used these allegories or these examples is because if people were searching then they would listen and, and they would begin to question, okay, well, what, is he, what does he really mean by that? And how does that apply to my life? And, and if they weren't searching, they weren't going to hear his teachings anyway, mainly because they were so different than the Jewish law that they had been brought up with. Jesus took about 630 and narrowed it down to just a few called the Great Commandments. So this morning, we are going to be looking at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil. And we're going to be talking about dirt. Now, as we talk about dirt, I want us to ask ourselves, what kind of dirt am I right now? Which one of these four types of soil can I most identify with? What I don't want us to do is think, okay, well, I've never been that, and, you know, so-and-so's that, the thorny, the thorny soil that grows the thorn plants, the thorn bushes, so-and-so, my sister-in-law or my mother-in-law, she's the thorny bush. Uh, That's not the whole point. The point is for us to realize that at some point in our faith journey, we are all four. Of these, and you'll learn what those are in just a second. But at some point in our journey, we end up being all four. I want us to walk away today asking ourselves, where are we right now? And how can we grow deeper in our faith? There are some examples in the parable. There's a, a farmer who's sowing some seed. The seed is our is our hearts and the, the feelings that we have as human beings on this earth. So as you hear the parable in just a second, when you hear the word seed, we are the seed. Jesus, uh, God, that's the farmer. And then how we respond are the four different examples. Now then, and just after we talk about the four different types of soil, we're going to look at the life of Louis Zamperini, he, the movie Unbroken, the book Unbroken that was written about his life uh, gives a perfect depiction of his story. And he is one who self-proclaims that he went through all of these stages. In fact, in one of his quotes, he uses the parable of the soil and says he was all four of those different things. And then he ended up at the fruitful place. So I'm going to show you a couple of clips from the movie Unbroken. And then hopefully it'll all tie together at the end. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, will you please use the words of my mouth? and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they help us grow closer and deeper with you. Or may we encounter you in a new way for the first time today. Amen. 
So here are these words from the Gospel of Matthew. One interesting thing about this parable is it is found in three of the synoptic Gospels, and it is also found in the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. So if three of the Gospel writers remembered this parable to write it down, then we believe as followers of Christ that clearly it actually had some pretty important points to remember Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Now they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. So Jesus told that story. Now I want you to take a look at the picture that is on the screen. This is the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus, because all these people kept following him and listening to his teachings, which were a really good thing, but at some point he just could not teach the masses. And so he would position himself himself in such a way, in such a place that he could continue to carry out his message in a bigger and broader way. So that's what happened here. He got in a boat because all the the crowds, the throngs of people were closing in on him and he could not teach as effectively. So he gets in a boat and he sails a little ways out on the Sea of Galilee. And then if you could picture all the people, they would have been standing on the shoreline listening to him. And then he told this story. So if you look off in the distance, you will notice that the lush green land. Then if you come a little closer, I don't know if you can tell by this picture or not, but the ground actually was very rocky. And there were little thorny thorn bushes that would grow up. And then there was also hard soil as well. So the story that Jesus tells them about a farmer sowing seeds, they would have been seeing a landscape that looked just like this. So Jesus tells that story. And then he says, let anyone who has ears, let them hear. In the gospel of Luke, when the story is told, Jesus says the word of God. The word was thrown among the the seeds and among the people, among the ground and Sometimes it took root, sometimes it didn't. He uses the word of God. And so this morning, as we try to understand what this means, I want us to think about this in terms of a relationship. A relationship that we have with God. How do we feel in relation to our response to God? And remember that God is love. So how do we feel right now? Where are we in our journey? What do our hearts feel like in terms of relationships with other people? How do our hearts feel 
when we take an inner look at ourselves. The first type of soil that the seeds were thrown on was hard soil. The seeds did not grow at all before they could take any kind of root, maybe find a crevice, a break in the dirt. The birds would come and eat them, take them away. If we compare that to our hearts, then what that means is sometimes our hearts are just hard. Sometimes we find ourselves in our life saying, there is absolutely nothing that exists beyond this. When I die, there's no afterlife, there's no God, there's no state of perfection or heaven. This is it. Do you know that that's actually normal? To get to that place in our life and in our journey where we find ourselves thinking it's all bogus. That's why here at West, we do have messages that actually ask those questions. And every year on Christmas Eve and every year on Easter, I will say, even if you don't buy this story at all, just give me a few minutes and maybe take away something from what I say. As we all journey in life, it is normal to have hearts that are hard. At some point, we do and we should. Sometimes parents will come to me when their kids go away to college and say, Andrea, I don't know what to do. Uh, So-and-so doesn't believe in God anymore, or they're a Buddhist, or they're agnostic, they're an atheist, they're Hindu. What do I do? I'm like, you don't do anything except what you've always done. You keep loving them and You just pray that they will go to that place inside of themselves at some point in the future and reconnect with that love because most of the time, that is what happens. But browbeating people and saying, if you don't do this, then this, that doesn't win anyone into the love of God. That's a fear-based theology, and frankly, most of the time, it doesn't work. At all of, at, in each of our lives, we find times and places where our hearts are hard. But the point is that they shouldn't stay that way. Another type of the soil was where it would perhaps have just a break so that one seed could work its way in and sprout. Jesus tells us that that seed would get in the dirt and sprout immediately. So clearly it had enough of what it needed to take on a new form of life. But it didn't have enough to sustain it. It did not have any roots. So what do roots look like in our journey? And what does that initial sprout look like? Well, I call that the rah-rah Jesus. We fall in love with this idea of God, or we fall in love with Jesus, and it is all good, and it's almost like the prosperity gospel. If you love God enough, and if you, you know, exist in God's love, then life is going to be great. In fact, I've heard people say, well, you know, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it all changed for me. I got a new job, 
We moved houses. Our finances took up, took a upward swing. I met the person of my dreams. All when I said, you know, Jesus Christ, I want you to come into my heart and my life. And so that's all good. That's prosperity gospel. The problem with that is, I don't care what you might hear, life is not always good. At some point in each of our journeys, we encounter adversity. That would sort of be like this little sprout that has sprung up and, you know, it's all pretty and everything, but then the sun comes and it starts beating down on this beautiful little flower. And guess what? Within no time at all, it withers up and it dies. Faith, our being connected to the power and the presence of God that exists and resides in each of us, our faith has to have roots. How do we get those? We get those by being in community with one another. We get those by reading scriptures and meditating on them and seeing what we can learn from them. We get them by doing things for others beyond ourselves. When we sacrifice ourselves, we grow roots. That's the life that Jesus gave as an example and then the other type of soil that Jesus talks about that's negative is the type that has thorn bushes and the greenery the plants will grow up in the thorns and then the thorns come in and they choke the life of that new plant away and they take over there is a Cherokee Indian story where a grandfather told his grandson about how we all have two wolves that live inside of us. Will you clap if you've ever heard that parable or that story of the two wolves? The grandfather said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us. One is evil and it is anger, envy, jealousy, Sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity or guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. Those are all examples of the evil wolf that lives inside of us. We believe that too as followers of Christ, that there is good and there is evil. There are two opposing forces in this world. The grandfather went on to say, the other wolf is good. We would call that the presence of God. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, kindness, humility, Benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. This example that Jesus gives about the seed that is planted in and among the thorns, and the thorns grow, and they overtake the life of the seed. Those thorns are all those evil things that are read first. Pride, ego, self-pity, hatred, anger, those things. If we aren't careful, they take over. 
and they will choke the life out of us. So that's where the story of this Louis Zamperini comes in. He was born as a son of two immigrants. His family did not speak English. They spoke Italian. They moved to America, and he was bullied by his peers because his family was different. He didn't have the things that the other people had, so basically he was bullied. He gave his parents a run for their money. He was rebellious. He was acting out of the hurt that he felt as a result of the bullying and he raised all kinds of a word that probably I shouldn't use in a sermon. I'll let you fill it in in your brains. People in the community knew him as the bad kid. At some point in high school, his older brother was running cross country, and his older brother said, look, Louie, you need something that's going to get you out of this muck that you're in. You need something with purpose. Why don't you run? with me. And so after some pushback, Louis finally gives in and starts to run, and he finds that he actually has this innate gift. This gift and this skill of running, he could run far distances, but he also had this this inner skill, this inner strength of persevering and pushing through the pain at all cost. Little did he know at that time how that would come to benefit him in the future. He ends up joining the army, and he is a bombardier in an airplane during World War II, and they had several successful missions. And then one time he was sent out on a mission to scour the ocean to see if there were any survivors down there. And the plane that he was in was known to be a lemon, and sure enough, it crashed into the ocean. Louis and two other gentlemen survived the initial cra- uh, crash. They ended up in a raft, and that's where two of them survived for, 48, for 47 days. While he was there and while he was lying in the raft, now he would have been at this place in the story where his heart was at the first place, the hardened place. He didn't believe in God. His mother made him go to church. He thought it was just a bunch of bogus stuff. He didn't listen. He was restless. And he had no use for this idea or this concept of God. Later on, in both the book and the movie, you see him have this sort of experience with something bigger than himself, the mystery of the divine, the mystery of God. He's lying there, and he's staring up into the sky, the heavens, and they've had no water. He's dehydrated, and they're starving and thirsting literally to death. He cries out while he's there in that raft and goes, God, if you're real, God, if there's anything to this, then if you will just save me, then I'm yours. Now, a little while later, rain comes. 
Now we could look at that one of two ways and we could say, oh, there's this divine providence that when we do this, then this happens. And I do believe that God works in and through all things. And the writers of scripture tell us that God uses all all things for good, that there is this presence, this love that exists beyond ourselves and things work together for a reason. But I tell you that because I don't want you to think that if we are in this, you know, hardened place of life or this barren ground and the sun starts coming down and is scorching to us, we can do this like bargaining thing with God because that's not what or who God is. It doesn't work So that's not the point of his crying out to God. Those were not, you know, if-then statements with some magical genie of a deity. These were things, these were transformations that were happening within Louis. And sure enough, rains come. Now, he had to figure out what to do with the rain. I mean, he just didn't lie there in the raft with his mouth open going, ah, you know, to catch a few drops. He had to, like, take some action. He had to do something. That's what faith is. In order to grow those roots that keep us healthy plants, we have to do something. We can't just exist like the one little stalk and look all pretty and expect life to just work out and do this whole bargaining thing with God. It just doesn't work. I want you to take a look at this movie clip in just a second. This is when the answer came, the answer that Louis had been praying for. You know, God, if you'll get us off this raft, if you will get us out of this mess, then I'm here for you. Well, the answer came in ways that he did not think, hope, or imagine. It came in the form of a Japanese airplane. And they took him and his friend as prisoners of war. And so he goes from nearly starving and thirsting to death for 47 days in the middle of the ocean to becoming a prisoner of war. The bird is what this individual was known as, the one over the prisoner of war camp. He was notoriously evil and cruel This camp where Louis was taken was known for execution of all of the prisoners. That was the whole point of the camp. Louis knew that going into it. He had heard of it. Well, the bird finds out that Louis is this famous, you know, runner. Louis had excelled and soared in his running. And so the bird finds out about that and he decides that he's going to use that to his advantage in all ways and shapes and forms that he possibly could. This clip that you're getting ready to see is one of the times that all the men were outside and the bird was doing roll call and calling them out. And you'll see what he did to Louis. Take a look at this clip. There's much time in Omori camp. We have an opera singer. Who is the opera singer? We have a chef from Sydney, Australia. And we have an Olympic athlete. Who is the Olympic athlete?
Who is the Olympic athlete? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were nothing? Have you ever felt like life is just something that keeps beating you literally to death? It is in those moments that our heart, the seed, can either become hardened and dry up and wither, or it's in those moments that that seed, our hearts, can, can grow those roots and connect with that power of the divine, the power of love that lives and exists in each of us. That's what they write about in the book Unbroken as we walk through Louis' life as he faced such tremendous adversity because he had had that aha moment, that justifying moment, justifying grace moment with God. Then he began the the process of salvation. Salvation means transformation. We all have hardened hearts at some point. It's what we do with them. Do we let them be softened so that we can grow those roots in our faith? Even in the face of extreme adversity, Louis did. But he also... As he continues to endure just this extreme torture and adversity, his heart grows back hard again. He finally, they all are rescued. The war ends and they were, you know, steps away, the masses from being executed in the river there. And right before the execution happened, the planes, the Allied planes started flying overhead and they were all saved. They were given a new lease at life. Louis was given a new lease at life. So he gets out of the service and he marries the girl of his dreams. But then he just keeps going through life and there's this struggle. Like if he were one of the soils in this it would be the the hardened soil or the thorny soil where you know there's some hope and there's some life but things just keep 
pulling it away from him. And finally, he realized what that was that was stealing the life out of him. I want you to take a look at this clip where he talks about his realization of what that was. Take a look. He went through some terrible years where he was destroying his marriage, but Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him. And he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. And he sat in the back of the audience and he was unhappy and he was sullen, but Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable. I think all the prisoners had basically made the same prayer. Get me hold of life to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you. And you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep their promise? I didn't. And so my life fell apart. And it was at that moment that he made this realization to, to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this and he owed God something. And he realized what he needed to do. So I went forward in the meeting and made my confession of faith in Christ and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments because I knew I was through getting drunk, and I knew that I forgave my guards, and I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. <laughs> and, and that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. When Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life, that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant. He decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who had, who had abused him so terribly and he went to Sagama prison where they were all being held for war crimes. He went to every single one and looked him in the eye and told him that he forgave him for mm -hmm. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war. He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion and they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them. I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. Louis's life was changed. His salvation, his transformation began when he realized that he needed to offer forgiveness. That's when his seed took roots that would never be undone. Where are you today? Which soil are you? Are you the hard soil that, you know, you just don't believe that there's anything past this, there's nothing bigger than we are? Or 
Are we in the shallow dirt and we don't have any roots yet, but we're enjoying this life and we want to get the roots so that when the sun comes, when the scorching comes, we can persevere. Are you facing thorns that seem to be closing in on you and you need to find a way through them? Or are you at a place where you really do, you have the roots and you feel that, that is bigger than we are and it sustains us through all things so that you can then go and share that with others wherever we are. That's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness that is offered to all people. That's why this morning we're celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion. Jesus lived his life to make a point to everyone. That was the whole point of his existence was to show them, look, there is something beyond us and that something is big and it's amazing. It is love. It is God. It is God's love and it changes everything. So when he was with the disciples in the upper room that night, he knew what was getting ready to happen. And so he wanted to give them something to understand, something to ponder, something to think about. And so he took what had been the Passover meal and he gave it new definition. He said, this is my body. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. Give thanks to God. And every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. So what was he saying? Remember, remember the lessons I taught you. Remember about the seed and that sometimes it's hard and sometimes we can, you know, die and wither away so easily. And then he said, this is my blood poured out for you, shed for you, for all your sins. And remember, sin is when we miss the mark of being at one with love. And he said, take and drink of this. And when you do, remember me. In the United Methodist Church, the communion table is open to all people. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a member of some official church or not. You're a part of the movement. And communion is a convicting sacrament, meaning that as you come and you take the bread and you dip it into the cup, that hopefully you'll feel that love moving your heart from somewhere to somewhere new. That, my friends, is salvation, and that's transformation. So I invite you now to go with me in prayer and then prepare to come to the table. We have three stations, one to your back left, one to your right, and one to your left. And you can come as you are ready and just let God work in your heart. Gracious God, will you pour out your spirit on this, blood, this bread and this cup? Make it be for us the body and the blood of Christ. And we do this remembering all those that have gone before us and those that are among us now. God, that you take our hearts and you transform them in mysterious and divine and wonderful ways. We offer our hearts to you. Amen.